next episode of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WBEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. I'm your host, Olga Peters, and this is the show where we talk about how things in Montpelier shake out for the rest of us. And actually this week, we will talk a little bit how things at the federal level may shake out for the rest of us. Welcome to the show, regular contributor Emily Kornheiser, who's one of three representatives for the town of Brattleboro. Hello, Emily. Hi, Olga. Good to see you today. Good to see you too. And Chris Campany from the Wyndham Regional Commission. I'm so glad you can join us today. Glad to be here. Thank you. So we want to dig into ARPA money and um, what it means for local communities and how local communities can use it, what they need to be thinking about. Um, we've all heard that this kind of chunk of change could really be revolutionary for a number of um, issues and projects and communities, but what will that actually look like? What does that mean and how do we get there? So I don't know, Emily or Chris, who wants to take this first question? But well, I'd love yeah. to get just a lay of the land right now with with ARPA. Like, where where are we? Have the, has the money started to arrive? Like, just kind of a, a lay of the land for folks. Before we even get to that, I would just like to sort of um, set up how unusual this is. Um, and then maybe Chris can sort of tell us a little bit more about some mechanics. But we... The federal government very, very rarely gives money directly to communities. Um, and state government actually rarely gives money directly to communities. The bulk of our um, town funds are raised through local taxes and stay mostly local. And there's some mechanisms that we're not going to get into here, but um, it's really quite unusual to have money go directly from the feds to the towns without the state sort of interfering and designing how that money might be spent. And so having this um, really flexible pot of money at one time is, I don't think that's happened um, at any point that I'm aware of in Vermont history even. And so occasionally some of our larger city, you know, Burlington sometimes gets direct federal money because they're a city and they're under sort of different rules. But for, especially for our smaller towns, this is they don't even have systems in place to figure out how to spend such money. And so this is like really exciting. And I'm really excited about how the regional commission is stepping up to help people navigate this wild time. Do you want me to pick up Olga? Yes, please. Um, yeah. And Emily's exactly right. This is, it is very unusual in that um, there are no other there there are no no other external directives other than the, the guidance from the U.S. Treasury, and that's one of the reasons why uh, the state asked the Vermont League of Cities and Towns to partner with the state's regional planning commissions to help the towns understand uh, what the rules are to use the funding, um, and then and VLCT is really taking on the role of explaining uh, the rules and regulations around it, the the, the details, and ultimately what they're going to have to do to report. Uh, and all of that, but the funding has already gone to towns. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll share with your audience. I will tell you what I know and what I remember well, and what I don't. They can always ask. Um, and I'll put in. If I put something in chat, will people be able to see it? They won't, but we can um, add it but, to show notes later. Yeah. Okay. 
So the main thing I'll just tell everybody right up front is if you want a lot of details about how the program operates, go to the Vermont League of Cities and Towns um, and just click on their ARPA resource. You can even search uh, Google. If you search uh, VLCT ARPA, um, you'll, come, you'll come up with uh, uh, to their resource page. It's a really good page, uh, a lot of information. And um, I guess we said ARPA is America Rescue Plan Act. Um, the town, the funding went directly to towns within the Wyndham region. And for us, that's, uh, all the 23 towns in Wyndham County and, uh, Searsburg, Windhall, um, and, uh, Reesboro and, and Bennington County and Weston and Windsor County for, for, for all of our 27 towns. Um, it comes to a total of about $13 million that's going to, going to towns and every, and, Sorry, I just want to let our listeners know that, and let you know, Chris, actually, um, that Katie Buckley from the Vermont League of Cities and Towns is going to join us next Friday um, to sort of talk more about what this means on a statewide level. And we're really excited to hear from you about how you're sort of navigating things in Wyndham County. Great, great, great. Um, and uh, the funding, um, there's two, there are two, basically, it, was, it, was, it's, it, was, it goes to towns by formula. Um, and, uh, that's, that's based on primarily on per capita, uh, uh, and they the towns are getting both their share per statute, um, per federal statute. And then they're also, because Vermont does not have county government, they're also getting the, what in other states would have gone to, to county government. The towns are also getting, uh, the count, you know, the county share distributed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons why they're getting, a, you know, for towns, our towns with relatively small population are getting a, a rather large chunk of change um, for this. So the, the money is being delivered uh, in two different tranches. Um, I'll let Katie get into the details of that, but there's a tranche that's coming this year. There's a tranche that's coming next year. Um, and there may even be some in, some in the, inter, in the middle. Um, but what, uh, but the, the good thing is unlike the CARES Act and other pandemic funding, towns have time to think this through and spend it wisely. And that's critical. Unlike the CARES Act, where everybody is rushing to spend money within within weeks or a couple of months um, and stand and having to stand up an administrative structure with zero time. Um, this funding where we everybody involved is encouraging towns to take their time, think this through, because they have until December 31st, 2024 to spend it or obligate it. So you don't, your projects don't even have to be done by 20, by the end of 2024, you just have to have the funding obligated. Mm-hmm. So that's critical because if we're talking, especially infrastructure projects or something like that, that takes time to, to, to prepare and stand those up. And plus one of the things that we're encouraging towns to do, and this is one of the reasons why they need to take their time is to think about how do you pair up the, the town money with other potential state and federal resources to really maximize the um, the, the 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 resources that you that they have at their disposal. And I uh, imagine that um, the promise of the infrastructure funding that might or might not ever make it through Congress um, would be a very um, a very sort of available pairing to this. If, if, and when that happened, it sounds, you know, that would also be significant resources for towns. 
Potentially, yeah. And and but the other piece of this too is that uh, the final so their interim treasury guidance has gone out that, that and they solicited comments on it. And when I say treasury, this is U.S. Treasury. Um, but also, um, the final tre treasury guidance has not been released yet. And so, frankly, we are not advising towns on anything specific yet until we see what the final guidance says. Because right now, we don't know exactly, like, can, you know, is my hope that they're going to allow towns to, like, also invest in planning to do the infrastructure work, you know, or that could be part of the project. Because a lot of towns don't have to do the kinds of things that they might want to do, haven't done the, the planning and scoping and design and other work that you have to do. And hopefully it's not going to be one of these programs where, and I don't think it will be, but I'm just saying often too often these programs are like the project has to be shovel ready. Well, there's a lot of work that has to go into something before it's shovel ready, yes. mm -hmm. including all the permitting and everything else. So, um, and so I, I hope I'm not boring people with all this, but, but this, but this is why it's important for towns to just kind of take a, measured approach and the other thing that we're waiting for is still guidance from the state about what funding that the, the, they're going to be it's going to be available now and the legislature is going to be back in session to also determine how to use additional funds um mm -hmm. and so there's already funding that came through arpa and just other sources that even independent of any other infrastructure bill that may come through the feds that there's already other sources of funding out there that, that the towns may be able to pair their money with. And if you want, I'll go through what they can spend the money on. Yeah. Um, so I just, few quick things. One, we um, really aim to bore our audience here on the Montpelier Happy Hour. So feel free to go as deep into the details as you want to. That's, I think, who tunes in. It's an hour long show. There's very few sound bites available in it. So feel free to go into the weeds. Um, the other thing just wanna sort of lay out for folks is that um, as Chris was saying, the state of Vermont, um, the legislature have only appropriated, allocated about half of our ARPA dollars. Um, and we're planning on um, tackling strategies for the next half of our ARPA dollars in this upcoming session. Um, and Carolyn Wesley, who's the Senate Pro Tem's chief of staff is coming in next week to join Katie Buckley to talk about a listening tour that they've done around ARPA so, to, um, to give some feedback on what we might be thinking about spending for in this upcoming year. Thanks. Back to you, Chris. Great. Sure. So um, these are pretty broad categories and just bear with me, I'm gonna read them verbatim so folks know. Uh, but uh, so there are four broad, four broad criteria outlining eligible uses. And again, you can find this on the Vermont League of Cities and Towns page, or I'm sure just search ARPA and um, eligible uses. But, and this is straight from um, the US Treasury. Uh, the first is to respond to public health emergencies, to the public health emergency or its negative impacts, economic impacts, including assistance to households, small businesses and nonprofits, or aid to impacted industries such as tourism, travel and hospitality. Uh, the next is to respond to workers performing essential work during the COVID-19 public health emergency by providing premium pay to eligible workers. The third is for provision of government services to the extent of the reduction in revenue due to the COVID-19 public health emergency relative to revenues collected in the most recent full fiscal year prior to the emergency. Uh, in other words, you can help fill a hole that was that was created during the pandemic. You cannot use it to reduce the future this year's taxes. Mm -hmm. um, and then last but not least importantly, to make necessary investments in water, sewer, or broadband infrastructure. And what's not noted there is, uh, in, the, in the Treasury guidance, they've also said 
They can also uh, relate to uh, uh, clean water. But there, there was talking about clean water in relationship to water infrastructure. In other words, like drinking water infrastructure. So we're not really sure yet how broad that clean water provision. Um, we're not really sure what that looks like just yet. Is that going to be like you can buy land for wellhead protection if you have a municipal well or something like that? Um, or is it going to be broader? And, uh, you know, uh, so we'll, we'll just say we'll have to see. And so I was, I'll, and I'll just go briefly through each of those uh, just for some, some detail. So uh, in, the, in the first one, the response to public, the public health emergency and its negative economic impacts, including assistance to households, small businesses, nonprofits, or to aid impacted industries such as uh, tourism, travel, and hospitality. We're fortunate to have a number of groups in the region and statewide that uh, provide services you know, to, to individuals and, and households uh, and the general public. Um, and there are other groups that assist with uh, tourism, travel, hospitality. Um, some of those groups, uh, I remember early on, I, I, I'm not as up to speed with what's happened lately, but some of them will be making pitches to towns to ask for, can we, would you be willing to contribute some of your ARPA funding uh, to that effort? And that is something that towns can do. They can uh, provide funding to other groups that are doing things in their community as uh, to, to meet needs as long as it meets those ARPA guidelines. And of course the towns are gonna have to report in, in excruciating detail on how they spend all their money. And But uh, as long as they feel comfortable that, um, you know, and hopefully these groups will have done their homework and know that um, um, what the work they're doing qualifies. Uh, so Tasman will, will likely be hearing from different groups that, that do that provide that work. On the, on the response to workers performing essential work during the COVID-19 public health emergency, that's really talking about public health workers um, and folk like that. We've had some questions from towns like, can we, can we, can we, uh, increase our pay like to road crews because uh, for most of our towns that's for a lot of our towns that's the only you know that they, they have very limited number of employees and um and so road crew you know so that's a logical question but th they really wouldn't qualify it's really people who are frontline workers addressing the the pandemic um and then uh, for the provision of government services to the extent of the reduction of revenue uh that all that jargon basically means if, if there was, if there's a hole in your, in your, in, in the town revenue that can be directly attributable to the pandemic, um, then you can use ARPA funding to fill that hole. So um, one example of that, that I've heard about, which feels like very straightforward to use as an example is the town um, parking fund in Brattleboro was, um, is much, much lower than it would be in a normal year because people were, parking a lot less <laughs> during right. the pandemic. Um, and so that parking fund pays for a bunch of um, regular costs that were still needed to be paid out. And so that's like a very sort of specific COVID related revenue hole that um, is pretty boring, but necessary. Right, that's a, that's a, that's a good example. Um, and I'm gonna hedge everything with like, I assume that would, that would, that would qualify. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, that's why uh, particularly Katie and her role, and we'll, and our PCs can answer these kinds of questions too. Um, and our we have, and I'll I'll get into how we're structured to do work on this in a minute. But um, but those are the you know, those kinds of questions. Yeah, towns will just want to reach out to the folk who know the details about the rules 
and how the town's going to, and just check before they make that commitment. But to me, it would seem like a logical, that's, that's, that that's a really good example. And then the last one, of course, is to make the necessary investments in water, sewer, or broadband infrastructure. Um, and so, again, towns can also, through ARPA, they can band together um, to implement, to develop projects. Uh, and like for us, for broadband infrastructure, um, they wouldn't have to necessarily, but, you know, for a number of our communities are members of the commu new communications union district. Uh, I think it's DV Fiber uh, is the, is the, is the, uh, more common name for it now. Um, they may be out. They may be requesting towns to contribute to their funding. But the other, the other piece of all, the challenge of all this is uh, the CUDs are also on their own getting a lot of just funding that's going to be coming through the state, specifically for those purposes. And so towns are going to be courted by a number of groups um, that are going to provide these services. But there's also, like I say, funding coming down from the state. And then there may be additional funding. Um, I'm pretty sure the federal infrastructure bill, if it passes, I think there's additional money in there for rural broadband. So much for rural broadband. Yes. And so that's where towns are going to have to make the decision about what they want to do. And at some point, um, you know, it may feel a bit like pushing a string. You know, there's this, there's there's going to be so much funding out there. Um, how fast can, you know, can, can groups even use it? Mm -hmm. um and 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 there's and it's and it's you know it is kind of one of those hurry up and wait type situations where there's a lot of energy and, and, and enthusiasm and, and pressure uh at one level for towns to make decisions um but on the other hand we everybody still kind of needs to pause a bit just to figure out how all these pieces can come together so that the most can be made out of the situation um on and I've thought a lot. If you, I will, I will stop and let y'all ask questions. But then, at some point, I'll tell you about how we're actually structuring ourselves to help towns on this. Well, that's kind of what I'm curious about. I'm really curious about how communities are making decisions about how to spend these funds. Um, where you think, where like where you're seeing decision making taking place, what public participation is looking like for it, how you all are able to support some communities that don't have very many mechanisms for public participation to figure that out. That's like, that's really some of the really interesting parts for me. Olga, what about you? That's, thank you, um, Emily. Um, one reason I'm excited to be talking to you, Chris, is because we don't have county government in, in Vermont. The regional commissions in many ways are our biggest kind of eye in the sky. They're not, definitely not a county government, but you're the one who really sees the big picture, I feel, in so many ways. So I'm excited to hear what, what you're hearing and where you're seeing um, maybe needs uh, from towns. I'm also really curious. Uh, I'm excited and I'm hopeful for this ARPA funds that we would be able to have regional projects or multi-town projects. Um, I don't know if there are any in the works, but if there are, I would really like to hear about those too. Um, but yeah, let's, let's start with, with how you're structured to, to work on this. So, um, yeah, so the, the regional planning commissions were given, um, uh, three year funding, $30,000 for three years, uh, to work with towns on, um, the first part was actually how to organize themselves to get the funding in the first place. And so we spent a lot of time uh, going back until I guess late spring 
through the summer uh, working with towns, directly with the towns to help them uh, understand what they needed to do to apply to U.S. Treasury to get the funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've, we've gradually moved into uh, just establishing lines of communication with towns. We, we need, we're, we've respectfully asked it to like for a primary point of contact so that we're not just blasting the towns with uh, requests for information or, or, or sending out guidance to everybody, you know, every clerk, every select board member, every planning commission member. Because one of the things we learned during Irene was you never know who in a town is handling this work for them. Um, and uh, uh, so our initial communication chain was very broad uh, so that we were making sure that we weren't missing the town. Um, and then similar, we learned with the Communications Union District, what we did was we, we were asking for a primary point of contact that we can reliably reach out to and know that they'll get the information to the town. In a lot of cases, that may be a town administrator, a select board administrator, town manager, assistant town manager. But it can, in a lot of other cases, it can be a volunteer that the select board has, a, is, you know, frequently like a volunteer. A select board member will stand up and volunteer to do that, to do that work. Um, and then what we're going to be, we have two staff people who are working on this, uh, Sue Westa and Margo Gia. Uh, their leads, and it takes, uh, we, we have a staff of only 10 people, but it's really taken two people uh, to help do this work. Um, and so th- they are constantly getting up to speed in communication with towns. Right now, a lot of the questions we're fielding are those questions of how do we, what should we be doing to solicit ideas from the public? Uh, or should we be soliciting ideas from the public? Or how do we organize ourselves? Or can a town may ask, can we hire, can we, meaning the town, um, hire somebody to help lead this process for us? And the answer is yes, they can. Um, and then sometimes we're already looking way down the road to like, oh my gosh, we don't have the capacity to manage these projects, um, especially some of the towns that were disastered in July, because you know, now they're dealing with FEMA. They're like, oh my gosh, We've already got these other grants that we're trying to manage. Now we've got FEMA coming into town. We've got to manage those projects. How are we going to manage those? So right now we're fielding those larger questions. Um, and they tend to be pretty general. Um, and uh, But then what we're going to be doing is uh, we're going to be, once the final guidance is out, we're going to be having a webinar uh, for all towns about what the final guidance is and trying to translate it into uh, into uh, municipal English um, so that everybody understands what, what the final guidance and rules are. That guidance can come anytime. The deadline uh, uh, is the end of the year. I'm, I'm not expecting it to have probably show up before December. Uh, just a hunch. That's not, I don't have any inside information, but just um, knowing how, knowing how uh, the feds work, it'll probably be a while. Um, and so we'll start with that. And then what we're going to do is, is offer the towns, uh, if they need us to help facilitate a conversation within the, within the community, we can, we can offer to help do that. Uh, if they uh, need us to you know, help facilitate connections with other funding sources, uh, we're happy to do that. We, we, we don't have the capacity, unfortunately, to, to, to do a deep dive in every single community because it's just there, there are too many of them. But we are trying to... Uh, um, hopefully, uh, we're, we're, we're hoping to hire another planner, um, in doing, who does like municipal planning, uh, like 
municipal planning and zoning and regional planning and zoning to take some of the pressure off the other staff so that we can create more space for that. Um, the other thing too, and not to get just because this is a legislative session, um, the the funding that we got to go for three years, we're going to use it be probably within you know in nine months. Um, yeah, thirty thousand doesn't sound like a lot for all this work, to be honest. Yeah, and I, and I, and I'll, I'll just say something brief. So, regional planning commissions, just not to bore people, and this is not a crying poor or anything, but most of our funding streams are very narrow in scope. Um, and they have their performance-based grants, and typically at the, at the you know, it typically comes from, through from an appropriation through the legislature, often through another agency. And so the funding we get, it's not like we we don't we we have, we we don't have any taxation authority. We have uh, we can we assess member towns um, relatively small amounts of money. It's about five percent of our budget, but otherwise all of our grants are performance-based grants, and usually they're very fixed in scope. So it's like uh, road erosion inventories or uh, emergency management planning grant or transportation planning initiative, or and they all have these very narrow scopes. So unfortunately, we, it's not, we don't have the, the capacity to just say, okay, we're going to put everything else on pause and we're going to put a lot of resources into people to go out and meet with all the towns and organize regional projects and intermunicipal projects. And so we'd love to do that, but um, we'd love to do that in, in all kinds of different areas. But but we're gonna we, we we do a really good job though of leveraging everything that we've got and putting it everything that we can into helping towns and so some of this will be somewhat organic as, as in terms of our approach uh, based on what we hear the town's uh, needs might be. We've already helped some, uh, for instance, Newfane reached out to us as they put out an RFP for to actually hire somebody mm -hmm. to help them guide their public process on this. Uh, other towns may take that same approach. Um, most aren't quite as that, that, at that point yet. Um, the other thing that's happened as a result of uh, our housing crisis is um, we and, and Wyndham Windsor Housing Trust were both getting a lot of calls about, oh my gosh, this housing issue, um, you know, nobody can buy. Uh, we can't, you know, employers can't hire anybody because they are, are having trouble hiring because people can't find uh, housing in the area. Uh, we have older people are trying to move to housing and uh, they, there are no other options. Uh, they can't downsize. We have beginning home, you know, beginning homeowners and young families who um, now they're priced out of the market and don't have access. And so I think the housing crisis that, that frankly for some decision makers in the region uh, was an issue for other people is now an issue for everybody. Um, and so they've kind of, and I'm not being critical. I just, this is normal. I've seen this in other places. Suddenly everybody's kind of woken up to it. And so we had a lot of questions about how can ARPA help with that? Mm -hmm. And so we're actually going to be doing a webinar, a series of three. If you go to our website, winregional.org, um, you'll, you'll see it. We're going to do a three-part webinar series on housing. And we're going to try to get down to the brass tacks of just very basic. What does it take to develop housing in your town? And uh, and so the first session is going to be that kind of general. This is what has to happen. And there's a sequence. And I'll, I'll, I'll I don't want don't want to be a spoiler, but one of the things we're going to say is infrastructure <laughs> can't develop housing without infrastructure. Um, You've said and, that before, uh, Chris. Hmm. I know. Yeah. I want to, can we pause on that for a minute? Because I think it's, um, it feels so profoundly unsexy right off the bat to people. And I think it's really, I want to just like spend a moment on it for people to understand 
outside of like our hub towns, what the wastewater capacity looks like um, so that people can really understand what that means for housing in a community. Let's, if we can do just... Um, I can wait until after the break. Yeah, I think actually we, we do okay. need to wait till after the break. Okay, um, so hold that thought, but thank you for bringing that up, Emily, because that's important. The uh, Montpelier Happy Hour on WVW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station, shall return after a word from our underwriters, so stay tuned. to the second half of the Montpelier Happy Hour on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station if you're just joining us. I'm your host, Olga Peters, and I'm speaking with regular contributor Emily Kornheiser and guest Chris Campany, who is the executive director of the Wyndham Regional Commission. You can also find the Montpelier Happy Hour anywhere you find podcasts and uh, Brattleboro Community Television, as well as our website the Montpelier Happy Hour.captivate.fm and Emily's social media channels as well. Hey Emily, what do we need to remind listeners of? In addition to the fact that there are a few too many technology platforms for your communication needs floating around right now, we want to remind listeners that the views and opinions expressed here on the Montpelier Happy Hour are those of the host and the guests and not any of those platforms or stations that we are speaking on or through or around, nor any of our employers, partners, families, associations. It's just the views and opinions of these three separate people using their three separate mouths and brains. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Chris. Do it different each time, Chris, just right off the cuff there. And, and she's welcome to do it because I get cranky about it. <laughs> so, Chris, talk to us about uh, infrastructure. And as Emily said before the break, it, it's not very sexy, wastewater or sewer or water infrastructure. But we do need infrastructure if we're going to have housing. So I would love it if you could just outline for people why um, infrastructure is the new sexy. So and that's actually why I'm in Burlington right now. I I, I, share, I, I created a panel. I created a panel. That sounds very power. Uh, very I don't know. Very powerful. But anyway, I organized yeah. the panel for the, the Northern New England chapter of the American Planning Association to discuss this very issue. It, it was titled uh, "The Fallacy of Compact Settlement in the Absence of uh, Infrastructure." Mm. And, um, nice. It's basically my cry in the wilderness. Um, and uh, what we're discussing is, uh, so this is the, the short answer to your question is, generally speaking, we're not going to develop housing in any meaningful way until we invest in, uh, especially in rural areas, until we invest in the infrastructure to actually support it. And what that means is uh, the pipe, the, the, the water, drinking water to get into homes and businesses. Uh, and organizations and a place to flush, uh, uh, to dispose of that water once you've used it. Um, and <clears throat> the reason for that is um, like even our communities that already have existing water and wastewater systems, uh, those those systems have limited capacity. And if you, and, you know, if you live in like uh, uh, Rockingham or Brattleboro or Wilmington or Dover, 
um, you know, there are frequent updates to these, to these kind of larger centralized systems. Um, but in a lot of our villages, there is no community water or wastewater at all. Mm-hmm. And that basically means that each, each home or each business has its own individual septic and well. And, um, and the systems that we're talking about are probably soil-based systems, not the conventional systems like Brattleboro and Bellows Falls and others have. But these would be systems that would be more, uh, uh, they'd probably have like individual septic at some properties and collect gray water for some kind of and, uh, uh, common distribution or you, within, a, within a single village, you might have a, a few different clusters even of homes and businesses on different systems, um, but they'd be managed as one. But the reason for this is, uh, is that for reasons of public health and safety, um, there are certain acreage requirements and soil requirements uh, that are supposed to separate septic systems from wells. And um, in most of our villages, the lots are so small that, uh, you know, it's a lot of it, a lot of the lots, uh, I used to live in Newfane Village, um, you know, a lot of the lots are half acre, quarter acre or smaller. And already, if you if you were to draw a circle based on your regulatory requirements, um, a lot of septic systems already shadow wells. And that doesn't mean necessarily that people's septage is getting into people's wells. It's that, but what you want to do though is have separation from where those leach fields are, where the where the gray water is being treated by you know, through anaerobic means and um, and saturating into the ground. Uh, you want to keep that away from where well wellhead sources are. Um, and then if you think about a lot of our villages, you're oftentimes constrained on one side by a stream and the other side by a road. Um, and so many of our villages are only one house or one yard deep too, right? So mm-hmm. not like you've got necessarily, you know, uh, blocks, you know, uh, village blocks in a lot of cases. Um, so, so the reason one, why- Can I, I just want to like make this concrete for people for just- a moment. One thing that really like brought this home for me for whatever reason is um, learning that the library in Weston doesn't have a bathroom. Um, And like, that's just a tiny example. But when I think about Weston, it's definitely one of our wealthier villages um, in sort of the grand context of Vermont villages. And yet their library, which is a lovely library, um, is on a plot of land that has doesn't have the capacity to have exactly what you described, right? A well and a septic system in the same place. And so they are in the situation where like really basic amenities that most people think about are not possible because of the limits of just placing one system on one plot of property. That's why so many of our our, our village markets don't have, have the porta potty outside. It's not that they don't want you to use their toilet; they don't have the capacity for it, and probably the regulation regulators wouldn't let them. And so, you know, not, there's nothing like sitting in a porta potty in February in, in Vermont, but uh, it definitely speeds you up. You don't spend a lot of time on your phone in there. But um, <laughs> I remember months. going into one once, and it was like cover. There was no roof on it, and so like <laughs> the entire inside was covered with snow. <laughs> yeah. It's probably the most hygienic one you've ever been in. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but that's the issue, and that's the issue, and that's why also it's like some some markets, even if they wanted to have tables for people to sit and, and, and eat and drink at, and if they wanted to use actual plates as opposed to, you may wonder why you go to a restaurant in Vermont and you're getting paper plates and plastic cups. That's the re- they don't have the dishwashing capacity. 
And so this wastewater issue not only goes to developing new housing and developing new businesses, but frankly, retaining the businesses and, and even homes that we've already got. And, uh, and so and I'll use my own story. In, in the village of Newfane, we applied for a, an in-law apartment um, and we, have, we had a septic and well. Um, long story short, we ultimately got the approval, but we basically in our property records had to say, if we have the in-law apartment, we're basically calling our house a two bedroom, one bath home instead of three bedroom. I'm sorry, three bed. Our home was three bedrooms, two baths. Um, but in, to get the in law apartment, we're going to have to say we were a two bedroom, two bath home. Hmm. So, in, in, in essence, we weren't increasing the number of dwelling units. And this is an issue for, and I know it sounds kind of technical, but it's kind of my aha moment in, in the village of like, if you look at a lot of villages, because of the small lot sizes and existing existence of exist, uh, you know, existing septic systems and wells, in many of our villages, you probably couldn't add a single dwelling unit. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you're talking an in-law apartment, accessory dwelling unit. Um, so, no matter how much zoning we do, it, or or if you if it's not if it's not if the answer is not none, it's probably very very few uh, because of uh, the the wastewater capacity issues. So. Where we're going with all this is um, we're stuck. We, we the policy directives at the state level, um, and I'm, I'm going back to the conference here. I, I bring this issue up a lot because in other places, parts of the country where I've worked, whether in, in the South and even in, in like New York and Maryland and other places, you know, oftentimes the development of infrastructure is easy. Uh, that kind of planning and development they get, and um, and so water and sewer, let's run it, guys. And we'll do the land use planning later. In New England, this is not just Vermont, um, but 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 New England, Vermont included. We do a lot of the land use planning, but we don't seem to be able to do the infrastructure piece. Hmm. And so the, the Vermont's primary land use planning goal is to have uh, compact settlements surrounded by rural countryside. And the problem with that is you can't do it hmm. uh, because we don't have the infrastructure in place to actually achieve the compact settlements, except for our existing downtown. So the larger communities can continue to grow, but that means our other communities basically are stuck. And so if like Wyndham's or Housing Trust, one of the first questions they're gonna ask when they're asked by a town uh, to come in and do a project is they're gonna have to say, do you have water and sewer? And the answer is likely to be no. Um, and so that's, and because they can't, you, you don't have the space to do so, uh, you know, an independent uh, system on this a small lot, like converting an inn into um, affordable housing. And so, We've got all kinds of opportunities in our villages to do this kind of thing and to grow them even um, in a very, you know, in a, in a, in a great way, but uh, we don't have the infrastructure to support it. And so I've been, I talk about this so much in the state. It's almost, I think it's become a drinking game. It's like anytime I'm in a meeting, it's when is Campany going to bring up the infrastructure piece because it's well, so this frustrating. This is the Montpelier happy hour. And yeah. so I hope we've ever actually played a drinking <laughs> do, game. Do you have at here, least so your, your tea or coffee? I'm glad that we're ready here. I have my water right here. Uh, but that was, uh, but the interesting thing was uh, in this session that we did, there were about 40 participants in the room. These are planners from uh, uh, this primarily Vermont, New, New Hampshire and Maine, but also there are some interlopers, uh, welcome interlopers from Massachusetts and other places. Um, but when I asked the room, so the point of the, the panel was to, there are some of us working in Vermont to kind of set the stage of like, here are the policy directors that talk about compact settlement, which is awesome. It's one of the reasons I love working here is this recognition of the importance of smart growth and trying to uh, 
prevent rural sprawl because that has all kinds of problems related to uh, public service provision and water quality and uh, climate resilience and climate adaptation and greenhouse gas reduction, all these things that we uh, say that we want. But, um, but the path of least resistance right now is large lot development and existing parcels on class three town roads. Uh, that's generally where you can build. And um, so we set that stage. And so I asked the question, the, the goal, but the goal of the panel was to say, not, let's not have a complaint session, but who's had successes? Let's talk to each other about like, well, what can we learn from each other about the approach of your state, the approach of your regional commission, the approach of your municipality to figure this out. And not a single person in the room could raise their hand and offer um, a solution. We did one person who uh, provided a solution of, uh, it, was, it was actually in Vernon, apparently uh, somebody had developed a septic system on the, uh, on a lot that was subsequently subdivided away from their home. And so they had to figure out how to get the system all on their property. And so what they did was they put an aerobic system because an aerobic system can have a smaller footprint. But among all those other planners in the room, there were no examples. And so this is not just a Vermont problem. This is a New England problem. And, and think so Chris, uh, sorry, I, I just, um, when you say it's a, a New England problem, is it a problem of regulation? Is it a problem of just not having the skills or the people who can do it? Like where's, what string needs to be pulled to? I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out. I think part of what it is, is, uh, you know, budget, and I'm going to go back to, the, to Vermont's approach to the Clean Water Initiative as an example of this. So I think, you know, the ultimate statement of, of policy values is budgets. It's where you put the money. That's the ultimate statement of value. And I think what, what the, part of the issue is, is there's some funding that will come in through the feds, um, through different programs, and states want to tri really try to spread that out as much as they can. And so they, they start with financing when really, you know, so it's like financing, planning for systems and financing the systems themselves. What municipalities need are grants because we don't really have the, mm -hmm. the populations always to support the, the development of the systems and the ongoing maintenance. Um, and I suspect that's an issue. I, I'm, I, I can only surmise this. Somebody, somebody, I hope somebody can do a dissertation on this or a thesis looking at all the states, but I think that's part of it then oftentimes, right, the states want that money to get reimbursed through some kind of revolving loan fund or something. So they get paid back for those little bits of federal money they get. And so my argument is, this is one of the things I'm arguing for on the Climate Council too, is uh, if you think about Vermont's Clean Water Initiative, now they were pushed, the state was pushed towards this because of lawsuits around uh, water quality in Lake Champlain, but the, the state ultimately took an all-in approach, meaning all Vermonters are going to contribute uh, to um, ensuring that the waters of the state are clean. And it's a very broad approach, right? Um, right down to the Municipal Roads General Permits. You know, that's why you see the, your road crews out uh, working in ditches, um, laying in stone and um, trying to uh, uh, keep sediment from getting into streams. And so there's this all in approach. I think we have to do that on wastewater and water. Um, not saying say tax people just for the fun of taxing people, but if this is our principal planning goal and this planning goal of compact settlements surrounded by rural countryside that's not only a, the, the mission for all planning commissions in the state that that applies to state agencies that is in the state comprehensive energy plan that's going to that is in the state 
uh, uh, Global Warming Solutions Act. It, it's in the, in the 2040 long-range transportation plan. It's everywhere. The principal policy directive, but you can't do it until we invest in uh, the infrastructure. And that's where it just, that just kind of breaks my heart because, you know, you, we've got all the right policy language, but you can't actually do it. Mm. And, and it drives, and it drives me a little nuts because yes, you know, like I can help towns plan the hell out of this stuff. Sorry. Uh, you know, we can, we can plan all of this and we can work with them on their zoning so that they got the zoning right. But if you don't have the wastewater capacity to actually build the housing to, to expand the existing businesses, to create new businesses. And I would argue importantly, beginning to move development out of river corridors and out of floodplains and making those places mm -hmm. more resilient because looking ahead to the, the storms that we're going to have, not, you know, not just looking at the past, but looking at what can happen in the future in order to make our communities more resilient, we have to have this infrastructure in place and we've got to figure this out. And, um, and this is why with ARPA going back to ARPA, um, towns can do a lot with this funding to, to you're not going to build a system with any of this money. It is not enough, but you can sure go a long way. That's where we're waiting for the guidance, the final guidance coming through the treasury you can still go a long way to do the planning for it. Um, but the way we need to really start this conversation is, and this is where we, we can come back into as the regional commission, is too oftentimes the conversations are, are this, this wastewater and water issue is dealt with as an engineering problem. And it's not, it's a planning issue. Mm. What we need to do is actually work with communities. And this, and, and this is something where, um, this isn't ARPA specific, but I think this has to happen. Um, too often the conversation in communities around what wastewater start with, can we afford it? Or like, are there health issues we need to be aware of? Can we afford it? What we need to do is sit down with towns and say, what is the role of the village in your community? Or what is the role of the downtown? What do you, how do you want to use it? What do you want to see there? What, you know, do you want to retain the homes and businesses? And so, and, and beyond, it's not planning jargon. It's like, would you like to be able to sit down and eat food in your village? Would you like to be able to uh, have an inn in your village? Would you like to have more housing in your village? How much housing would you like to have? Uh, would you like to one day be able to see the shuttered inn turn into affordable housing? Um, would you like to see uh, capacity for more business offices there? Uh, everybody wants a microbrewery, and that's a big wastewater user, no matter where, where you go. Everybody, <laughs> wants, wants, yeah, everybody wants the microbrewery in the village and, um, and the and rest. And the coffee shop. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and then there are a lot of people who just like to be able to use the bathroom at their village. And I'm not joking. We, I, one, of the, one of the requests I've got a lot of is, do you think we can use this ARPA funding to put a public restroom in our village someplace? So that if a bus comes through or if I'm in town doing business and I don't want to freeze to death, uh, we do have an aging population um, and I would count myself among those. You know, it'd be nice to have a facility where you're not freezing to death if you need to do something. Mm -hmm. So um, but we need to do that kind of planning work up front because that then tells you. And then we also need to type the conversation about how do we if, if we grow the village, if we, you know, if we expand on the margins, mm -hmm. um, how do we do so in a way that we move ourselves away from the stream and the river mm -hmm. and become more flood resilient? And so we got to have those conversations and that informs the engineering questions. And so Chris, I'm gonna fully interrupt you now. I wanna know 
What I hear you saying is that the conversation about how to use the funds for wastewater systems needs to start with what do people actually want their communities to look like? And that's a conversation, you know, that we've talked on the happy hour a whole bunch of times about how town meeting in its very structure is not sort of generative enough to be able to have those conversations. Um, we know that the Council on Rural Development occasionally selects towns to be having these conversations and then there's no funding attached to that conversation. And so are you seeing opportunities from these ARPA funds for people in communities to get sort of sparked enough to really be sitting down and saying, oh, wow, this is an opportunity, maybe not to fully implement something, but to create transformational change in how we operate as a village or as a town. And how are people starting to have those conversations? Do people in the communities have the resources to have those conversations? What else needs to happen for those conversations to be supported? So I think the answer to all that is uh, a lot of them want to have that conversation. A lot of them don't know how to necessarily do it. Um, and that's where we, we want to help. Um, I think from my perspective, uh, these are, and these, this, this needs to happen just as, frankly, as general public meetings and public discussions. They need to be inclusive. Um, they, you know, and, and I know even if you've got a small, you know, small community, again, I'll go back to where I used to live in Newfane, you probably need to have a couple of these. You know, you need to have one in Newfane Village. You need to have one in uh, Williamsville or South Newfane because it's a small town, but it, you, it's, it's, you may as well live in different worlds. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the people in Newfane would say, yes, he's right. Uh, yeah. I don't think they would, that is, that's not a snarky comment at all. I mean, I think, no, no. you know, no, Westminster, no. you've got a mountain that divides it or ridge. And so yeah. you've got many different areas of Westminster. So I would encourage like Westminster to have one in, you know, north, northeast, southeast, I mean, northwest, southwest. Um, it's a pretty big town, you know, and St. and Rockingham, incredibly diverse town in terms of, you know, the pockets of where the different uh, places, areas that have their own identities. So I'm just using those are just a few examples, but they, but there really does need to be this kind of uh, robust engagement. And I would encourage folks to not get so tied up necessarily in just how the ARPA funding can be used is have the, have the larger vision conversation about what your community needs are and then figure out how ARPA might fit it. And there, there absolutely is an opportunity um, for, you know, major infrastructure investment. Um, that may not be the panacea for everything, but I mean, I hope, do hope some communities will use this as an opportunity to kind of do that kind of transformational change to support the things that they want to do. It's not wastewater and water's sake, it's to do all of these other things that they want to do. I also hope it's an opportunity for towns to talk to each other. So like even on the, on the housing issue, as communities begin to have talk internally about like, what are our housing needs? What do we see? It may be that the housing may not make sense in your own town. It may make better sense to, to be in another adjoining town that maybe just has better uh, capacity because of soils, topography, other things like that to locate the wastewater system and thus the, the concentrated housing someplace else. So an example would be uh, like Londonderry has, I don't know the details of their wastewater study, but North Londonderry is really challenging because of the proximity of the West River. And basically the village is kind of back bunches, uh, is up against ledge. And, um, and you got a lot of brownfields in there. South Londonderry is similar, but is the solution perhaps collaborating with Weston or Winhall? 
to really kind of, kind of come up with that area's housing needs as opposed to just that individual's town's housing needs. And so we're going to do everything we can to help support those conversations. Um, in some cases, it may make sense for towns to either individually or collectively to use some of the ARPA funding to hire a consultant. We may, if, if you want to do a deeper dive than what we can provide, we'll help you. We're, we're happy to help towns every way we can. We're also help, happy to, uh, and we, um, to help towns figure out you know, to, how, how to get the resources that they need. And, I'm, and the ARPA funding can be used to hire consultant, consultants or even staff to help, uh, to help work this through. Um, so, so Chris, um, I'm jumping in because we have just under five minutes in, in this section. So I just wanted to check in with you and Emily to see anything you want to kind of tie up or make sure you leave listeners with before we sign off today. I'll let Emily go first. Um, no, it's that it's that idea of sort of starting with the planning that I'm really mm -hmm. curious about. And I feel like we've really covered that, that um, transformational change doesn't happen overnight, but we have an opportunity here from both what we've all experienced over the last two years of upheaval and um, the questions that's allowed us to ask as communities and the fact that there is the infusion of dollars more than even paying for things just makes possibility feel possible. And so really wanna make sure that as we're moving forward, we're supporting communities to be having the conversations they need to have, to be leveraging the planning resources that they need to use um, to figure out ways to be looking, you know, 10, 20, 50 years out about what we want our communities to be. Because this is, this is a once in a generation, once in many generations opportunity in the midst of all this upheaval. Mm -hmm. Chris. I guess uh, it says this is the legislative happy hour, is that right? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Imperial happy hour, so I guess even better, um, more gooder. Um, <laughs> what I would say is I am really afraid that we're about to go down the same damn path we keep going down. Me too. Uh, that mm -hmm. because I'm afraid that at the state level, they're not engaging with the people who are on the ground actually implementing these things. And I'm afraid that the proposals that are going to come out of the state, I love these people to death. This, Vermont's a small state. We all work with each other. We all know each other. <laughs> we all like each other. But I'm really concerned that at the agency level, um, that they're not reaching out to the RPCs, to municipalities, the LCT, to say, hey, is what we're proposing to use the RR for funds for makes sense? Is this a is this, are we proposing use of these funds in a way that you can actually use them and in a way that they'll, they'll create transformational change? Or is it more the, 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 the model of what's not been working? And so I'm really nervous about that, that at the end of all this, we're going to be, you know, towns will have spent their funding. They won't be, be able to necessarily make use of the funds, state funds. Uh, that there's still going to be this kind of Hunger Games approach to towns. Here, the, here's the RFP, go get it. And the towns who have capacity can, and those who don't won't. Mm -hmm. um, so I just hope that there that the state will be very deliberative and, frankly, you know, get out of their comfort zone a bit, get out of the bubble, and engage with folk. Uh, this isn't about RPCs getting money or towns getting money or anything. It's literally the conversation about how do we make this work? You know, how do we how do we really leverage all of this funding together so that we really can make the transformational change that we need to have. And this is one of the things that worries me most about the climate uh, council and the, the climate action plan that we're creating is we'll see a lot of good ideas, but I'm also scratching my head about how on earth they're going to get implemented if we keep going down the same way. 
Let's talk about that soon because mm-hmm. that's a whole other fantastic conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you, Chris Campany from the Wyndham Regional Commission for joining us today. I think what's really sticking with me right now is what you said about starting with the planning and then thinking about how it fits with the money or how the money fits with it even better. Um, And the reason that is sticking with me is um, for a few, few reasons, but one is we just came out of a pandemic. We're still kind of in it, but we've come out in 2020 of a really crisis year. And now we're, we're kind of managing that crisis, but we've been so reactive in so many ways that I think we really, with this money need to slow down and, and think beyond the reaction and think, as Emily said, many generations. Um, And so I, I hope towns and communities can, can do that and, and, see the horizon again instead of just the the immediate emergency that many of us live in in many ways even beyond the pandemic um and and i'll go just real quick to your point on the housing front you know we're talking for the region you know brattleboro alone we're probably talking a thousand new units throughout the region we're talking many hundreds Mm -hmm. uh not you know not a few accessory dwelling units and that that's and that's another piece of this conversation that we need to have as a region about what those needs are just to meet current needs for people who are already here mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. people who aren't who are you know, not even who are born you know that's the so anyway we need there we need to to your point we need to start also thinking differently than we have yeah yeah and on that note thank you for joining us with the Montpelier happy hour i love that chris thank you for ending us there we will be back next week with um, Car- Carolyn and Katie Buckley to talk mm-hmm. about ARPA at kind of the state level and munis- what the VLCT is doing with municipalities. So be sure to join us next week. Thank you, everyone. Have a great weekend.